Again, welcome, and uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to Freedom Online. Uh, all of our kids, I think, have made their way out. If not, first through sixth grade is going to follow Miss Lynn around to Sweet D for their teaching time. Uh, it's a holiday weekend, and that means we've got a number of folks out of town, but the flip side of that is we've got uh, some guests and family members in town. We want to say a special word of welcome to you. I know Butch and Becky have got uh, family in their row. It's good to have you guys here. It's good to see Amanda here home with her family. Always good to have you here. Uh, we've got guests who are actually visiting from the other side of uh, Tallahassee. Uh, Dennis Henderson and his wife, Linda, who found us online and decided they just wanted to drive over and check us out on a Sunday. So you guys get the long distance award for a Sunday morning drive. Cool, cool stuff. We're glad to have all of you guys here. Well, today we are uh, beginning a new series uh, entitled Dream Big. And uh, we're going to be camped here for about five weeks And uh, the point of this whole series is to attempt at both a personal level, but particularly at the level of the church, to really focus in on and hear from God on what is it that you're saying and doing in terms of leading us into the next chapter of our lives and the life of this church. This is for five weeks going to be about God's vision and plan for his church collectively and individually. And uh, I'll just uh, tell you this, and I know Jackie's home watching online. She had a little surgical procedure this week, so she is off her feet for a few days. Uh, so she'll bust me on this for saying this. But uh, she's asked me a couple of times this week. She's like, you're going to preach how long on the vision of the church? Five weeks. She's like, you got five weeks worth of stuff to say about that? I said, stick around. We'll see. But uh, we could, uh, we might go longer than that. But definitely for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about what God is saying about where we're going together as a church. Proverbs 29:18 is a good starting point for us because there Solomon says this, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That's a real clear, straightforward word, isn't it? I'm curious to know, how many of you would say that you've spent a large portion of your life going to church? Let me see your hands. We've got a lot of, of long-term churchgoers. I'm 49 years old, which means I've been in church for 50 years. I'm one of those. I went to church for nine, year, nine months before I was born. I've always been in church. So a lo- lot of long-term churchgoers. I'm curious to know how many of you have experienced what I have, and that is that I've been to church a lot of places, and sometimes for long periods of time, where what Solomon just described is very true, that there's no real clear sense of direction and vision for the church. There's no real clear sense of revelation from God that this is what is unique for us. This is God's calling for us. And so in place of that, uh, the church kind of does what Solomon said here. You just trip over yourselves. You just uh, have all these different competing ideas. Well, I think we should be about this. Well, I think we should be doing this. I think this is what should be important. Well, I think this is the most important thing. And ultimately, what winds up happening is not a whole lot of anything good. You wind up just kind of disagreeing and pulling in different directions, and you just trip over yourselves. But Solomon reminds us that where people get a clear word from God about what it is that they're called to do, and they unite behind that, those are the people who are most blessed. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a blessed people who just get on board with what God's doing. If you've ever done the... uh, the study by Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God, you know that the beginning point in every new thing that God does is is God is the one who's at work. God is the initiator. God is the one who sets out to do new things, and then he honors us by coming along and inviting us to join him in what he's doing. And everything significant and powerful that we ever have an opportunity to accomplish or participate in, it's because we just got in line with what God had already initiated. You with me on that? That's why at both a personal level and at a church level, what we're talking about today is really important. And I'll just tell you that in my own life, God's just been speaking a lot of fresh, good stuff. And some of it uh, keeps coming from the book of Isaiah. I've been camped in Isaiah for a while, and I'll share a couple of the passages that just keep ringing my bell again and again. Passages like Isaiah 42.9, where the Lord says, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Somebody say, new things. New things, I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? God says that multiple times in his word. Before I do something new, 
I tell you about it. In Amos, he says, I don't do anything new that I don't tell my prophets in advance what I'm about to do. He doesn't have to do that. He didn't need our permission. But it's pretty cool that he says, I'll tell you if you'll listen what it is that I'm about to do. A similar word in Isaiah 43:18, when he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. How many of you believe that God's about to do something new and different? How many of you are ready for God to do something new and different? I am ready for that. I'm telling you, this isn't just a 3,000-year-old word. God is speaking a fresh word today that he's about to do something new and different. And before we can embrace that, he says, I've got another word for you. And that is, you've got to forget about what I've been doing. You've got to forget about what has already taken place. And that leads us to the first of just two simple truths I'm going to share with you today. And I'll go ahead and tell you in advance. Over the course of these five weeks, we're going to start broader and we're going to get more and more specific as we work our way to five weeks from now. Or four weeks from now, the the fifth installment in this. But the first truth that we're going to consider today is just simply this. Don't assume that we already know how to do church or that the future should look like the past. You see, I asked the question earlier, how many of you have spent most of your life in church and most of us raised our hands? That's both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? There's good and bad from that. Those of us who grew up in church, hopefully we know a lot of the Word and we've had a lot of experiences with God. But the downside, or one of the downsides to that, is we can fall into the trap of thinking, been there, done that. I already know pretty much what God's ever going to do in church. Been in church for 50 years. I know what to expect. Been to Freedom Church for the past five years. Know what to expect. And it is a trap to think that we already know how to do church or that we can anticipate in advance what God's going to do in the future based upon the past. God said, get ready. You better forget about the the, the things already passed because I'm about to do something new and you're going to have to get your mind right for that. Because expectation will greatly impact outcome. If we come expecting the same old, chances are you're going to get the same old. If you come expecting and believing and ready for God to do something new, we are positioned to receive God doing something new. And let's be really clear on this. Most people will miss out on what God's about to do. People who aren't ready to receive what God's about to do aren't going to get in on what God's about to do. That's how it's always been. There are people who get to experience the fresh wind movement of God and lots of people who get left out. And it's not because God's just going, I like him, I don't like her. I think I'll exclude her. It has a whole lot to do with our willingness to say, God, I'm open to whatever you say and whatever you do. I want to have a heart that's prepared, that signs the blank check and says, yes, Lord, whatever you've got next, bring it on. But part of the problem is we struggle especially people who come out of traditions like what I've grown up in, we struggle with the concept of revelation. I grew up Baptist. A lot of good things about being a Baptist. But I can tell you one downside of it is, you bring up a word like revelation, other than talking about the last book of the Bible, which, by the way, freaked us out pretty bad too in the Baptist church. We didn't go there very often. But you bring up the word revelation as a concept of something that needs to be happening in my life as a word from God. And we're like, I think you've come to the wrong church. You're looking for the assembly of God. They meet down the street. We just had no concept of revelation. It's like, we want a revelation, we read the Bible. And God does reveal himself through his word. He does that frequently in my life. That's part of why we need to be in the word. But God can reveal himself in a variety of different ways. And if we're going to embrace what God is about to do now and forevermore, we have to be in a position of receiving fresh revelation from God. And we've got to become comfortable with the idea that every single one of us need to learn to hear and recognize the voice of the Lord. Because if we don't, we're stuck in a bad place. We'll either get burned out or misled if we can't personally hear the voice of the Lord. If you can't hear from God, somebody's going to lead you astray. And if you can't hear from God, religion is just going to be that, just dead religion. It's not going to be a living relationship. Because relationships involve communication and movement. It's a lot more than reading a book. Jesus, in talking about this concept, he said... You just can't pour new wine in old wineskins. I know we don't 
use wineskins today. It's kind of a foreign concept to us, but we can understand the idea. He said, the reason you don't pour new wine in an old wineskin is because the old wineskin has lost its elasticity. When a wineskin is new, you can stretch it. And when wine ferments, it expands. And he said, the reason you never pour new wine in an old wineskin is because the old wineskin, it can't stretch anymore. It's stretched as far as it's ever going to stretch. And you pour new wine in it with the passing of time, it's going to swell, it's going to grow, and that wineskin can't contain it. And Jesus said, it'll just burst the skin and you'll lose all the wine. He was using that as an analogy. New wine and new oil being poured out is always an expression in the scriptures of God pouring out his spirit in a fresh way, doing a new work. And what he was saying is, if you have become old, brittle, and inflexible, this is the only way we know how to do it. We're just stuck right here. It's got to look like this. He said, I can't pour out a new wine work of my spirit into you because it, it would just blow you up. By the way, There are churches all over America where this has been happening for the past two decades. The Spirit will begin to move. Leaders will be raised up. Pastors will be called. Elders raised up who embrace a new wine work of God. The Spirit is speaking and the Spirit is moving. And they seek to move in a new direction. And then there will be people who are locked into an old wineskin mindset that says, That's not how my grandma did it in this church. We've never done it that way before, which is always the epitaph of a dying church. You know, We've never done it that way before. That is screaming, we're an old wineskin church, so God, you keep your new wine in heaven. We don't need any of that here. Now see, nobody would ever say it that way, but in, in practice, that's exactly what we're saying when we go, that is not how we do it at Freedom Church. That is just not how we do it. We've never done it that way before. That's why you have to start with what God said in the passages that we read. Forget about the things that have already passed. In other words, forget about how you've always done it. I'm about to do a new thing. And you can't receive a new thing unless you're willing to be a new wineskin. And a new wineskin, the mark of a new wineskin is it's always willing to be stretched. Are we going to be a new wineskin kind of church? Here's the beautiful thing. I know this about you. You're new wineskin people. If you weren't, you wouldn't have showed up at this place. Would you? I mean, why on earth would you have come here? I'm sure it's the fabulous facilities. I'm sure you just noticed driving down the four lane. You saw us a mile behind Target on Friendship Road, the road to nowhere. I know. You can, I know. It's okay to laugh out loud. It's, yes. If, if you're here, you're either lost or you're here for a very good reason. You really want to be here. And I don't think any lost people are here. Not, not lost in that sense. <laughs> God is wanting to do a new work among us. And if we're going to be a part of that, we're going to have to learn to recognize his voice. And understand what it is that he's saying. Now for those of us who are going, I didn't grow up in a tradition that taught us how to do that. God's got a good word for us from Isaiah 42 when he says this. But I'll take the hand of those who don't know the way, who can't see where they are going. That would be a lot of us church people, wouldn't it? Who would say, I love the idea of what God has next. I have no earthly idea what that is. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if I did, and we were honest, a bunch of people would probably raise your hands and go, I have no earthly idea where God is taking us next, personally or corporately. That's okay. That's who he's talking to. Those who can't see where we're going. He says, I'll be a personal guide to them, directing them through unknown country. And I'll be right there to show them what roads to take. Make sure that they don't fall into a ditch. And all of us should breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank you, Jesus. We need you to hold our hand. We need you to keep us on course. Because if we're going to have to hear the voice of God as he takes us into uncharted territory, we could fall into a ditch very easily, couldn't we? But he said, don't fret about it. I'm going to stay right with you. I'm going to make sure you understand what to do next. But he says here, pay attention. Are you deaf? Open your eyes. Are you blind? You're my servant and you're not looking. You're my messenger and you're not listening. God intended out of the goodness of his heart, and this is a great word, out of the goodness of his heart, he intended to be lavish in his revelation. Somebody say lavish. Lavish in his revelation. He didn't want to just give you a tiny little glimpse of what's coming. He wanted to just pour it on and show you in vivid 3D color what this is going to be like. 
But he says, but is anyone out there listening? Is anyone paying attention to what is coming? It's a good question, isn't it? Okay, at a personal level, do you ever spend time asking God, Lord, would you give me a glimpse of what's to come? Would you give me eyes to see where you're taking me and my family? Would you give me eyes, spiritual eyes to see where you're leading Freedom Church? Because I want to be a part of the new thing that you're doing. And I'm not trying to beat you up if you don't do that because the odds are there probably aren't three people in the room who've been praying that. Today is a charge to begin. Today is a call for every person under the sound of my voice in this room, watching and listening online, to begin to say, God, we need you to show us. We need a fresh revelation. Lord, be lavish in your revelation. Show us with clarity what it is that you've called us to do at personal levels and at the level of this church. Show us where you're taking us. And we say in advance, yes to that. It's a good question. Is anybody listening? Is anybody watching? Because this is a level of life that most of us probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about. And the tragic thing is, it's what Solomon said in the first place. Those who aren't living their lives in response to a clear revelation from God as to what he's saying and where he's leading, that they just trip over themselves all the time. Some of us would say, that's a pretty good description of my life. Personally, I just feel like I've tripped over myself again and again. Well, the first thing we need to do is repent of that and then to say, God, I need a fresh revelation from you. Now, if we're going to get clear about where we're going, he says, forget about the things that are past. I think we ought to take a moment and to consider some of the things that have been. And I'm not going to try and be a prophet today and say, oh, these are all the things that God is tearing down. I just think sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, this is what has been. And whether you like it or you don't like it, this is what has been and this is what is as we think about where God is taking us going forward. Let's think about in in the American church, and, and we'll say a word about the global church, what is and what has been. First of all, let me offer again some encouraging news. The church is strong globally. The church is healthy. The church is on the move. We lose a sense of that in the American church many times because the church in the West hasn't overall in our lifetimes been super strong and healthy and moving forward and growing. But globally, the church is very strong. It is continuing to gain momentum. The reason we tend to lose sight of it is because we don't live in the places and we don't often visit the places where the church is so strong. I'll tell you where the church is on the grow the fastest and where it's the healthiest and strongest. It's in Asia, Africa, and Eastern Europe. Now, I'm not trying to say that there aren't places around the world that God is moving. Absolutely, he is. But I'm talking about on national scales and literally on scales of continents. Those are the hot spots. And unfortunately, in our lifetimes, Western Europe, North America, Central America, South America, and Australia have been slowing down. And in fact, by most counts, today in North America, the growth of the church is not even keeping up with the population growth. Which means we're losing ground. We're, I mean, as a measure of what percentage of people in North America are Christians are involved in church today. As a, as a measure against the population, that number is getting smaller and smaller in our lifetimes. Which we find discouraging. And we feel like, oh goodness, the church isn't doing well. But on a global scale, the church is growing like crazy. In China and Mongolia, it's a wildfire. In India, the church is healthy and growing. In South Korea, it's just off the scale what the church has done. In, the, in Africa, I mean, just consider what's happened in Africa in, in our lifetimes, in the lifetimes of our parents and grandparents. Just over a century ago, at the beginning of the 20th century, there were only roughly 9 million Christians in all of Africa. Today... Just a little over a century later, there are more than 500 million Christians in Africa. And in seven and a half years, at the beginning of 2015, if current trends continue, there will be more than twice as many Christians in Africa in 2025 as there are human beings in America. We think about America as being the Christian nation. Africa will have more than twice as many Christians as there are people of all brands in America. That's atheists, Mormons, Christians, you name it, in America. 
Africa in our lifetimes will become the most Christian continent on the face of the earth. But moving rapidly to keep pace with them is what God's doing in Asia. It's really interesting to consider. Like I said, if you, by the way, if you're ever bored, just Google growth of Christianity and, and click on images and just start studying the charts. It's really interesting to look at, at maps of the entire globe and to just see it by color. The nations where the growth of the gospel and of the church is just on fire. And then to pause and consider what life is like in those places and what the church is like in those places. For instance, China is at or near the top of every list for the growth of the church. And yet the church is essentially banned. They can't even have church buildings. They just meet house to house. And 30,000 people per day are coming to faith in Christ in China. 30,000 a day. You can't stop it. The church is healthy and on the move. And yet, in the West, the church has gradually been in a decline mode. What's going on? I'll make just a couple of observations, and I, you, you draw your own conclusions. I'm going, to, I'm going to offer a couple of conclusions to you in this. It's interesting to note, I put some of this in your outline. From A.D. 30, we'll say that as the ballpark of the, of the birth of the church. It's probably, you know, the calendar got thrown off a little bit because they didn't go back and try and create the modern calendar until way, way, way after the life of Jesus. So Jesus was probably born in... A.D. 6 or 7. So the church is birthed in probably A.D. 27 thereabout. We'll just round off, say, A.D. 30 to A.D. 330. So the first three centuries of the church. The church experienced its fastest growth ever in history. And during that period, there were virtually no dedicated church buildings and hardly any professional clergy. Chew on that one for a minute. First three centuries of the church... Basically, there were no church buildings in existence. They didn't even really have a concept of professional clergy. I said we need to get clear on the church that has been and is now. You can't think about the church today in America without thinking of those two things, can you? The church is synonymous with our buildings. If you're going to have a church... If you grew up in the Bible Belt, you're thinking of the most beautiful structure in your community, typically. You're usually thinking of the most expensive building in your town. Right? That's the church. The one with the big pointy thing on top. It's the tallest. It's the prettiest. It costs the most. That is the church. It's bricks and mortar. But we call it the church. And how do we define a healthy church. Well, for starters, it's got a great pastor. Man, he, he knows how to make you cry. He knows how to make you laugh. Got a great worship ministry. Man, that song leader, he can, he can sing like a bird. We've got a choir or we've got a band. Man, it just it rocks the house. Makes the Mormons envious. Ooh, so good. Man, our children's ministry. We've got 47 programs for our children. You name it. And our student ministry, man, they are going and blowing. All the teenagers come to our So if we've got fifth quarters after the ball games. Friends, that is the church that has been and is in America. Agreed? We better stop and look in the mirror and ask, and what are the results? The results are plateau and decline. Now, I know we could all say, oh, wait a minute, I know about exceptions. I've seen exceptions to that. I could name this church or that church, and they're doing all those things that you just said, and they're getting bigger. We could name exceptions, but when we look together, I think we have to agree that when you look across the board in America, that is what we've been after. We want a beautiful, comfortable building that's full of people, that's got more programs than the next church down the road, and we're just getting bigger and bigger, and our budget is growing deeper and deeper, and we do more stuff than the next folks, and that makes us successful. But when we look at us together, we have to say, that plan isn't working. If it were we wouldn't be losing market share. We wouldn't be becoming a, smarter and less, a smaller and less influential part of the culture. 
Now, I'm not here to try and depress us, but at some point, if we're going to embrace something new, part of it has to be rooted in the fact that what has been isn't working. That plan is not what's going to reach the world. And oh, by the way, when we look at the world, they don't have church buildings. They certainly don't have the most expensive building in their community. They don't have 57 great programs. They don't have the coolest, hippest youth pastor in town. They don't have the most eloquent pastor and the most beautifully gifted worship leader around. Well, how in the world do they get by? How do they make it? Those poor Chinese Christians. Those poor Mongolians. Those poor Eastern Europeans. Those Africans. How do they do it? Well, I'll tell you what. It's worth saving up some money and taking part in a mission trip and going and seeing with your own eyes. Because it will change your life forever. To go into these places where whatever, a house, a school, a I mean, we, goodness, we, we've been places and seen places where literally the whole church building would be made out of corn stalks. Yeah, you can get your mind around that one. It's just unthinkable what people are meeting in, and then you get there with them, and the Spirit of God is just all over them. They so love Jesus, and they so love one another, and they don't even have any musical instruments, and they don't have any sound system, and they they don't have any air conditioning, and there's no padded seats in the room, but they are so grateful for Jesus and what He's done for them, and the, the change that He's made in their lives and in their families. And when they begin to sing, all we can do is weep. To recognize the beauty and power of what God is doing there. And weep out of brokenness for where we're living. And how we're living. And what we're calling church. Something fundamental has to change. Do you agree? I mean, isn't there a part of your heart that just breaks to realize what God has done for us. And what an incredible thing the church is. And what we have substituted and called it the church. It's not the building. And it's not the professional holy man. And in fact, if we're ever going to get in on what God's doing, it's the next thing I was saying in your outline here. If the church in America is to take part in God's current world-changing movement, we must stop thinking of the church as a building and of ministry as something to be done by professional Christians. We can't be defined by these things. We have to realize that we are the church. And it's nice that we have a building to meet in, but that's not the church. We're the church, and ministry isn't done by the professional holy man who went to seminary. The only way for the church to be effective is to realize everybody here is a minister, equally a minister. And if you don't have as much of a call on your life as I have on mine, something is wrong with us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are every bit as called as I am or as Tony is or as John is. We are all called to be ministers of Jesus Christ. And the reason that the church grew like wildfire for the first three centuries was because everybody understood it's just our mission. It's our call. We don't go, hmm, who are we going to call as our next pastor? Let's make sure he's a silver-tongued devil. Let's make sure our worship leader can really hit the high notes. There was no concept of that. It is just Christ in us. We better be the church. We better share that, every single one of us. And when the church does that, you can't stop it. It doesn't matter what the federal government does. It doesn't matter who's in the White House and whether they're against us or they're for us. It won't matter because you can't stop what God is doing through that kind of church. You can have a communist government that says the church cannot exist. The church is shut down. I dare them to try. You can't squash it. It is the move of God and it cannot be stopped by men. Not forcefully. It can easily be squashed by men and women who just get comfortable. Who fall in love with this. Who think this is the sum total of the Christian experience. Charlie, make sure the temperature stays comfortable in here, man. We would hate for it to get a little too warm or too hot. John, would you check and make sure all the seats are soft? Let's make sure that the Christian experience stays comfortable. If that's the measure of our Christianity, 
we're on a sinking ship. And I'm ready to bail out of that. Now some of you are going, are you saying we need to stop having buildings and get rid of all of our chairs? No, that's not the point. That won't advance the cause at all. It's not a disadvantage that you have a comfortable chair to sit in and praise God in our heat and humidity. We have air conditioning. I'm grateful for those things. And the truth be told, if we're going to reach the people that we live around, we have to have those things. We don't like saying that, but it's a fact. If you're going to reach most people, you've got to at least have a place to sit and be heard. and You've got to have air conditioning. But we have to understand getting in a new building, which we'll do in three months, isn't going to reach the world. Having a cool band isn't going to change lives. I can study my brains out and preach my heart out. And that won't transform the culture around us. It's not going to happen unless we embrace a mindset that says every single one of us are ministers. And every single one of us has to embrace the opportunities of influencing the circle of people that God has placed us in. That God has made every one of us to be pastors over the people that he puts around us. And the moment that we stop thinking of church as something that we do for an hour in a particular location. And we realize that Christ is our life. And everywhere we go, we share Christ and we welcome people to get to know us and this Christ who lives in us. Suddenly, we become a part of this world-shaping movement again. That's the beginning point. But we've got to just stop assuming that we already know how to do church. We know what this is going to look like and how it needs to, to feel. So then the question becomes... Well, what does this thing look like that God is wanting to do? What does Freedom Church look like as we move into the next phase of what God has for us? I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you as a favor, if you will, over the course of the next month, if you'll take the passage that I'm about to read, it's a very short passage in Ephesians 3, and if you'll take Isaiah 42, and if you'll just spend some time reading and meditating on both of those passages because they're both significant for what God is saying in the life of Freedom Church for the days to come. Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesian church in verses 14 to 21 of uh, Ephesians 3. And this is going to become for us a framework for what we're going to talk about over these five weeks. As a setup for that, I'll just tell you, Paul has been saying earlier in the chapter that um, he got clear on God's call for his life. And it wasn't at all what he was looking for. You see, Paul was a Jew's Jew. I mean, he he was as far up the Jewish tree and hierarchy as you could get. He had the pedigree. God came into his life, turned him around radically, and then to really shake him up, said, guess who I'm sending you to? It ain't the Jews. I'm sending you to the people you can't stand. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And he said, so that's my calling, to share the incredible mystery that was revealed in Christ to the Gentiles. And he goes on to say in verses 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 3 that his calling was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. He's pointing again, as he does in multiple places, to the fact that God has always had a secret plan for changing the world. I'll invite you for just a moment to remember that what, it, what we're a part of is this unfolding drama that is a conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we're caught in the middle. Earth is caught in the middle. When Lucifer and all of the angels who followed him were cast out of heaven, they, they left heaven and earth became the focal point of their lives and their activity. Humanity made in the image of God to be a part of the family of God became the focal point of all of their wicked work. And God, never content to allow that to happen, has since Eden been working to restore things to their proper order. And he will. And we're in that in-between time where God has initiated what's necessary for this to happen, but it has not come to completion yet. Lucifer never understood what God's ultimate plan was for crushing the works of the kingdom of darkness and setting humanity free. The key piece in that was the coming of the Son of God as a babe in Bethlehem to a humble Jewish family. Lucifer never conceived that that would be the case. That was the first big part of God's great mystery that was revealed. 
They knew who Jesus was. They were scared to death of Jesus. They never imagined that he would come as a helpless baby. And that he would live in obscurity for 30 years. And then when he would go public, he would suddenly display all the power and authority that he had. That was the first major installment of God's mysterious plan being opened up. The next installments are all going to be expressed through the life of Jesus' body, the church. And that's what Paul says in verse 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Made known to who? Who is that? Who are the... Yes, sir. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That is the demonic... That's who he talks about in Ephesians 6. These are the the ranks of fallen angels who are a part of the kingdom of darkness. He's saying they're getting clued in to the great mystery of God, which he is revealing through the church. And the enemy is cowering when the church gets on board with what God is progressively revealing according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now in line with that. Paul says, because I see God's unfolding plan, how he is revealing the next part of his mysterious plan for saving the world through the church. So now in line with that, here's how I'm praying for you, his church in Ephesus. And here's how we need to be praying and thinking as his church here on the eastern shore. For this reason, verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's this wonderful picture that we have the privilege of belonging to one family. doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter who your mama and daddy are. If you belong to Jesus, there has been one family name attached to you. You belong to the family. You ever wondered why you were created? I can tell you above everything else, you were created for this one purpose, to belong to the family of God. This was God's great purpose in creation, to form for himself a family. All this family shares a name. It's the name of Jesus. And he says, now, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Everybody say power. With power through his spirit in your inner being. We're going to get there next week. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then verse 20. We love verse 20, but it's interesting. We always want to apply verse 20 in our lives. Personally, this is a word to the church. All of this is to the church collectively. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Boy, that's a wonderful word, isn't it? I mean, everybody ought to want to shout hallelujah when you read verse 20. This God who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Doesn't that blow your mind? Oh, come on now. Wake up. Everybody punch your neighbor. Have you not dreamed some pretty big stuff? I mean, what's the biggest thing you've ever dreamed? What's the biggest thing you ever dreamed of God doing? And Paul is just saying, let's get clear on this. Whatever the biggest thing is, God has something planned way bigger. He is wanting to show up with the power and the goods to do way more than you ever dared to ask or even imagine. Wow. Somebody say, wow. That's huge. And he says, where does he want to do it? He wants to do it in the church. So that he gets glory forever and ever in all generations. That is the measure of whether or not a church has been what it was supposed to be and done what it was supposed to do. Does God get glory through it now and through future generations? It's sort of the intriguing, challenging thought. The only test, the only true test of whether we've succeeded at what we've been called to at Freedom Church is about what happens in the next two or three generations after us. 
does what we take part in outlive us by bringing glory to God by how future generations are impacted? If you'll just think like that, it'll challenge you to rethink how we do church. Because of what the goal of most churches turns out being. We want to be bigger and healthier and stronger now. As opposed to thinking of strategically, how do we bring glory to Jesus by impacting the generations that are going to come behind us? We're going to think that through in the weeks to come. So the first thing from this passage that we're challenged to consider is the realization that when you became a part of the church, we didn't join a local religious club. We joined the family of God. We joined the kingdom of God. One family who all share one name. Doesn't sound much like the church today, does it? I mean, I'm looking out the door right now, out the window. And there's another church right there. I could throw a rock from here and hit it. It's so close to us. And how tragic is it that there's a church right there and there's a church right there across the street and a church right, congregation right here. And there is nothing in practical terms that ties us to these people. There's not. Something's broken about that. I mean, we, we can say, in theory, something that is true. We all belong to the same Jesus. We all love the same Jesus. We're all on the same team. But how's that expressed? In what way are they stronger because we're here? That has to change. Which brings us to the second truth for the day, the final one, and it is this. We at Freedom Church must become kingdom-minded people. Say it with me. Kingdom-minded people. Again, kingdom-minded people. That's where he starts in the passage. The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In the New Testament... There isn't the slightest hint of any concept of New Testament Christians having as a part of their goal or plan that they would cause their local congregation to become numerically larger and their budget more financially stable. And yet I would contend today that in the American church, those are the two biggest goals. If you ask the average churchgoer, what is your greatest dream for your church? I think we're all clear on what the answer is. After a long, awkward, uh, what you would get is that we'll grow bigger. That there will be more people here on Sunday morning. That, that we'll grow. And there are some growing churches in America. And again, I, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm being negative Nancy today, but... I'm a student of the church. And I'm just telling you the real deal about the church. The majority of growing churches in America, or I will say a large number of the growing churches in America, are growing in largest part at the expense of other churches. They're not growing because they've reached and converted lost people. They're growing because they've become more attractive and they suck members out of smaller churches. That's not growth. That's called swelling. And in the body, swelling is very different from growth. When you've got swelling, you go to the doctor and do something about it because something's wrong. Doctor, I don't know why my knee is swelling. You don't want a doctor that goes, oh, don't worry about that. That's just growth. (laughs) Doc, I think growth was supposed to be in this direction. And yet we all go, woohoo, praise Jesus. We've grown some more. Twenty more members from other churches joined our church today. There's a part of me that thinks we ought to weep over that. We've just gotten good at stealing sheep. That has nothing to do with the kingdom. And in fact, when it is our goal to steal sheep, we have become so far removed from Christ and the early church as to be almost unrecognizable. We must become kingdom-minded people. And you know what kingdom-minded people do when they look at other churches? They see people who are in their family, who are on their team. 
And we celebrate their success. And we do whatever we can to support what they are doing. And they hopefully will do what they can to support what we're doing. Which leads me to, to share the next thing. And that is that Freedom Church has a clear and specific call from God to be an innovator in creating strategic partnerships with other congregations in our area who will work together with us in reaching and making disciples and sending as many missionaries as possible to new places both near and far. I know that sounds real vague and theoretical. It's not vague. What God is calling us to is very specific. You realize how far removed most people are from that statement, don't you? I'll point to one thing that I think makes it abundantly clear. When you go to a church, say Freedom Church, or a church a similar size to this, and you look down the road at another church, and let's go ahead and call the names. Three Circle, which used to be church on the Eastern Shore, church that I used to pastor, Church of His Presence, and City Hope. Everybody from this region knows those three churches on the corridor. They are the going, blowing churches of the Eastern Shore. They are growing by leaps and bounds. And if the truth be told, most people that I've ever heard from who don't attend those churches begrudge the growth of those three churches. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I've had people thinking that they were being sympathetic to me come along and go, you know, say things that essentially meant... Don't you just hate how much that church has grown since you left there? And let me be real clear on that. No, I don't. That's a part of my family. And so is Church of His Presence. And so is City Hope. And so is St. Stephen's. And so is Eastern Shore Baptist. And so is Daphne United Methodist. So is Eastern Shore Presbyterian. These are all a part of our church, our family, who all share the same name. And instead of being people who go, that just just aggravates me. I mean, everybody knows Church of His Presence. They have church for three hours at a time. And they bring in all these weird speakers. And it's noisy and it's goofy. And it just creeps me out. And, you know, I don't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say stuff like that. And still people come to it. I just don't get it. And you know what the bottom line in that statement is? I don't know why my church isn't growing like that. And it ticks me off that they've got more people than we've got here. We better put on our big boy and big girl panties and get over it. That's our family. That's God's kingdom. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't want to reach people. We need to reach people. It should be our passion to reach people. But we've got to get kingdom minded to the point that we don't look around and go, well, I don't like it. They just get bigger and bigger and have to have police out there directing traffic after church. I don't think Jesus would like that. God is calling Freedom Church to be kingdom-minded as a starting point, but to put that in action. You know, the Lord is about to relocate us, if all goes well, in November to a new spot in Fairhope. We're thrilled about that. We're going to be in a roomier place that's going to be much easier to find. But it's interesting that he's putting us in a little shopping center where literally just at the end of our parking lot, two other churches meet. They both meet in the same building. It's Grace Anglican and the Union. Ovi Moore, who preached in my place last Sunday, is the pastor of the Union. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear from Ovi last week. He's a great guy. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you specifically some of what God's put on my heart. And I'm going to share some other things that may or may not come to fruition, but... I know, I've known for two years, and and those guys have known, that God is calling us to form a creative partnership to pursue what the church is supposed to be doing in, in innovative ways that the church just isn't doing today. And when we first began to realize this, the first place that our minds went, and I shared this with you all the time, we thought, well, maybe God's just telling us to, to merge our churches. And we, we started praying about that. It didn't take many weeks to all three come to the same conclusion. We love each other. We love each other's congregations. We would love to work together. And yet God clearly gave all three of us the same word. No, you're not supposed to merge into one congregation. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. So we've been praying and really just wrestling with God. What are you saying? And it's been so cool to see how with the passing of time, God has clarified this. He's putting us literally within a stone's throw of one another. All pursuing the same mission, but with a very different feel in all three of these congregations. And we're saying, God, what are you saying in all of this? And I'll tell you a part of what God has said to us in this. 
that we are to remain three separate congregations in the sense of that we'll each have our leadership and we'll each have a budget that we're responsible for. We'll each have autonomy, but that we are going to choose to partner together in the things that we can do more effectively together, and they are many. When we do a mission trip, we're doing it together. When we do a Bible study, it's not going to be, oh, Pastor Mark is leading a Bible study on this for the people of Freedom Church. It'll be for all congregations. When Pastor Scott is leading a study, and when Pastor Obi's leading a study, it's for all congregations. We're going to work together in a way that you're going to realize really quickly, while, yes, in a, in a technical sense, I am the senior pastor for this church, but that you equally have access to the resources of these other congregations and vice versa. Now, here's a really intriguing part that we're, I'm not telling you exactly how this is going to play out because I don't know it, but we're having fun playing with it, is the realization that we're going to be so close together. And oh, by the way, there's the other added little piece of, you know, the bank. Those of you who are familiar with the building that we're moving into, it was a 12,000 square foot rectangle, and they carved out 1,500 square feet on the front of that and put a little bank in there temporarily that they're going to move out because they're going to build them a building in the parking lot out there. So there's going to be this other little 1,500 square foot space right kind of in our facility, a space that would make an incredible other little chapel if we wanted to take it over and make it that. I was having a conversation with Pastor Scott about this this week. He he was just saying aloud, wouldn't it be cool if we can advance this to the point that on Sunday morning, three congregations actually gather to sing and worship together. Now, I'll tell you, one of the biggest challenges of young congregations is to just find worship leaders and musicians and to get them to work together. They're they're actually losing their worship leader and and trying to figure out what are they going to do next. And and we're just having fun dreaming, going, how neat would it be, because we're all right there together sharing this parking lot, if we just all gathered for the worship portion on Sunday morning. And if the Bible studies that we want to offer, we just offer on Sunday morning before or after And it doesn't matter which congregation is your congregation. We take the leaders from whichever church that are most fitting for that study to lead in that time. And everybody's got access to that, to share in that together. And when it's time for the things that are more unique to us, that it's time for the teaching, we just have a little break in the meet and greet time. And the union, which is made up of mostly millennials, can go over here in this little chapel area. And Grace can walk down the sidewalk into their worship space. And Freedom can stay in its worship space and we do the things that are unique to us and instead of having to need three different children's ministers we already have a children's minister what if all the children could just benefit from the children's minister that's already employed and we've already got youth pastors what if everybody could derive the benefit of that and We're each, all three, trying to pay children's preschool workers to take care of those kids. We're going to have the larger facility. What if we just said, everybody bring your kids and just let them stay in our rooms. You don't have to waste resources on that. We can do that collectively. How cool would it be if everything we did, we took that kind of kingdom mindset and didn't go, no, wait a minute, are you paying your fair share? Did you... You may have come up $100 short this month. We may have paid more than you did. Instead of doing that, what if we just said, how could we seek to advance the kingdom in a way that frees up all the assets that we possibly can to invest in the things that really matter? Training people, sending people out, meeting needs, planting new churches. I'm curious to know, where does that land with you? This is the audience participation part. To make you a little weirded out? It doesn't feel like the church of the past, does it? Yeah, it is. It it excites the socks off of me. It really does. Because I think we're just catching a little glimpse of what God's calling us to. And we're not trying to be innovative for the sake of saying, look at us, we're cool and innovative. But I don't know anybody else who's doing what we're talking about. I don't. I think it would be awesome if that becomes a model for churches to think with a kingdom mindset. And a part of a kingdom mindset is this. The measure of our success is not how many bodies can we get in the room at one time. The measure of our success is how many people do we reach, convert, disciple, train, and send out. 
It is not our seating capacity, but our sending capacity that will define whether or not we've been faithful to what God's called us to. I'm pretty sure I'm off the tracks, but I'm about done anyway. We'll just run through the the last of the things that I've given you in your outline. A fundamental part of Freedom Church's DNA is that we're always to be focused on advancing the kingdom rather than on advancing the size and prestige of Freedom Church. That means a kingdom mindset. I mean, sending out many of our best and brightest to serve and plant in other places. We're going to be talking a lot more about this in coming weeks. And as a part of that, a kingdom mindset will mean that we make sacrifices here in order to dedicate a significant part of our budget to invest in planting and helping congregations in other places. I'm just going to tell you a personal conviction. I haven't discussed this with any other leader of this congregation. I think in 2018, we need to start setting aside 10% of our budget every week that goes exclusively to planting the next congregation. And I'm going to share in more detail in the coming weeks what I feel like God has laid out for us to do in the next decade. But suffice it to say, we're supposed to be planting a bunch of churches which are equally uh, equally committed to planting a bunch of churches which are equally committed, committed to planting a bunch of churches. We're supposed to be doing this Reproduction at a personal level and at a church level. And I'm just telling you, that is empty blah, blah, blah talk if we don't start budgeting our money to make it happen. It costs money to plant churches. It, we're, I'm thrilled that we're going to just be able to rent the facility that we're going into. And as for the facility, by the way, don't, don't you agree that there's a little bit of a new wineskin thing about that? We're so accustomed to this, the steeple on top, and we're moving into... An empty warehouse type facility. I mean, it's a shopping center. It's a big empty box that we're going to rent and use as a church. And it's still costing a quarter of a million dollars just to get that box to where we can use it. It costs money to plant churches. And if we're serious about planting churches and reaching people outside of who's going to meet in here with us, we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to have to start budgeting now to send people out and plant we're already doing more than, than the budgeting part. We're actually behind the scenes preparing people to go out. But you're gonna, you just recognize this is going to be a part of the mantra to come because it's a part of God's specific calling for us. A kingdom mindset also means that we'll pray for other congregations around us and seek to help them succeed in fulfilling their calling from God. We're going to have to adopt enough of a mindset that says we aren't exclusively the church. We're one little part of the church. And so to that end, we're going to try and help make these churches around us succeed. Of the other congregations that I just mentioned, the Union is the newest, youngest, and most fledgling congregation, and they're, they're targeting millennials. That's, the, that's a tough audience right now to go after. We need to be committed to their success. We need to pray for their success, but we need to be willing to help them succeed. That may mean that as we begin to work together, that some of you start showing up on Sunday night and going to the union and just taking part in that. Just just giving your time and, and effort to making them succeed. That's out of the box. Because in the old days, we would have said, well, ain't that being unfaithful? What if we lose them? What if they like the union and they stop coming to freedom? The kingdom hadn't lost anything. We're all on the same team. That's got to be our mindset. And finally, a kingdom mindset means that we'll see the church at a community level and at a global level rather than always thinking of it in terms of our congregation. That's a lot to swallow in the first week, isn't it? There's four more to come. Jackie, brace yourself. No, she's with us. She is on board. I take us back to what the Lord said early on through Isaiah. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now, I've talked about this at a church level. But you can bank on this. What God is about to do is going to rock your world. Because his calling on the church is just reflective of how he is seeking to do a new thing in every single one of our lives. We're not going to succeed in doing anything collectively unless individually we say, yes, Jesus, bring it on. I want whatever you've got. I want you to to speak a fresh word. I want fresh revelation from you.
So would you show me what you're calling me to? And help me to have a heart that believes you to just jump headlong into that. Would you join me as we pray together? God, we are so grateful and excited to know that you are alive and active and that you are working out your plan for your church and in the world and in our lives. And we want so much to be a part of that. I pray, Lord, that you would right now help us to just begin to catch a glimpse of what it is that you're calling us to at a personal level. I pray, God, that you would speak a fresh word in each of our lives. And I know it's not all going to happen in a moment of time like this. But I pray that right now you would cultivate in us a fresh hunger and thirst for more than what we've seen and known in the past. I just want to invite you right now in the privacy of your heart. Would you simply ask God to begin this work of revelation in your life? Would you ask him to begin to show you what it is that he's calling you to and what he's calling Freedom Church to? And would you just make a fresh commitment in your heart? Jesus, I am yours. You do with me what you want to. I invite you to have your way in my life. Lord, we welcome and embrace your work and we give you thanks for the privilege of knowing and serving you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. And may you get glory in the church now and throughout all generations. Amen.